Welcome back to our podcast on paradigm shifts uh, in our workplace. So just a re- quick recap. Um, in this, we're doing a four-part podcast series. In this episode, we're going to talk about work, uh, the nature of work, what is work, how we measure work, how we value work, and when and where and how work happens, and talk about how all of that and everything we thought we knew about work shifted uh, because of COVID, because of 2020. And then in our next episode, in episode two, we're going to talk about how we need to re-examine the power relationship between employers and employees because of this shift. In the third episode, we are going to talk about how instead of jumping to action and figuring out how to solve the work crises or whatever is happening, the great resignation and all of that, um, we need to spend our time understanding what's happening and redefining what it is that we want out of work redefining our relationship with work and then setting policies and figuring out how to do compensation and benefits and stuff from there. And in the last episode of our four-part series, we are going to talk about our toolbox of frames and lenses that we use to think about what's next, what the future of work is. And we will uh, talk about how we are going to humanize work and what that looks like moving forward. And just a quick disclaimer, as always, um, Nidia and I are talking from our personal experience and our observations. And so what we're talking about is largely um, for those of us who have computer jobs where we sit behind desks all day and send emails and do paperwork. And our examples and the way we're talking comes from that lived experience. So we're not trying to represent everybody and we are not Um, suggesting that everyone's experience of work is the same as ours, but we are saying there are a lot of people out there who we think have a similar experience and similar story as us. So with all of that, Nidia, what is work to you? Oh, it's such a loaded question, Farah. And I'm happy to talk about it because we need to. I guess I'll start by saying that when I entered the workforce, I saw work as a way for me to make money so that I can do the things that I wanted to do, including go to school, go on vacations, have a family. And as I started maturing uh, into what I now consider my career, the question about having and finding meaning and purpose in the work that I do became much more important to me uh, because I started to realize how much of my time and how much of my focus it required. I mean, if we really think about it, we spend more time in the workplace than we do with our own families. Yep. So it, it, it really is a big part of our lives. But I think we're all sort of stuck in the transactional piece of what work is. And yeah. I'd like to, to move away from that. And th- that's why I'm so interested in this, in this conversation. And I also refuse to believe that work does have to take so much of our, our personal lives. Um, I do think it's possible to do good, meaningful work but it's also important to have space um, to live um, in other spaces. How about you? What do you What do you think of work? Ooh, I love all of that. Um, it was also work for me originally was money, and for for me that also meant home and food and safety. And right. this is how I paid for things. And let's be honest, when we started, work paid for only those things. That's true. And there wasn't. <laughs> 
really wasn't any money left over for us to dream or think bigger. I think more recently, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how work is also though tied to my legacy mm -hmm. and what I leave behind on this planet yeah. when I'm not here anymore. And how much of my contribution and the just what I accomplished in my life is tied into work. Because again, we spend so much of our lives doing work. Uh, I also, I remember when I started, because you, you and I worked at the same company in DC yeah. for a while doing you know, international development, global development, working with international NGOs, this like purpose-driven, we are out there to help people kind of work, but our day-to-day -day was filling, doing paperwork, mm -hmm. right? It was totally. pushing buttons, getting signatures, verifying things, lots of looking at budgets. That's right. And even working in social justice, social impact spaces, I remember struggling to find meaning and connection to that work and being so, again, overwhelmed with the paperwork and the transactional, as you said, pieces right. of it. And so, yeah, I think work right now, some of it work means confusion and like not understanding how all the different pieces of what I think I should be getting out of work fit together. Mm, for um, sure. I think that's especially true because of COVID. That right? was a real eye-opener, wasn't it? My goodness. And it's what's really interesting, for is that, as you know, my daughter was born in 2016. And upon returning to the workforce, I was back two weeks. And I already knew, yeah. I told my husband, this is not sustainable. This is going to break. I hope it doesn't break, you know, for a while. But what I meant by that was I was commuting an hour and a half into San Francisco and an hour and a half back, fitting all of the responsibilities that you have with a salary job, meaning you're not expected to just work eight hours. You're expected to be available the entire day. And also trying to be present, you know? Yeah understanding you have all of this information sort of in your mind, but then you also need to be fully present with your kid. And so for me, it was already sort of me approaching a precipice that I wasn't going to be able to maintain. When COVID hit, it was shocking, but not shocking. <laughs> um, it was shocking because we were living through a pandemic, but I wasn't shocked with the way I was seeing the workforce respond to such a crisis. I think that through that, I realized that what I was living was not sustainable um, yeah. and that I was pushing for no certain reason other than I was told that that's what I needed to do. And specifically when I had thought about sort of changing jobs or, you know, changing careers even so that I could accommodate motherhood, um, the first thing a mentor told me was, well, you have to have a job before you jump to another one because you don't want to have a gap in your resume. And I was really struck by that and by that control uh, or that lack of power that I had in making decisions about what I felt was best for me in that moment. So, yeah, it was a wake up call and I'm glad it happened because that's what it that's what needed to happen for 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 change to actually take hold. How about you? Yeah, no. Um, I think I'm. I'm also just sitting with your reflection that so much of this was started before COVID, yeah. um, and that's something we'll come back to in just a second. But for me, I think 
COVID and 2020 in general brought up a couple of things. Um, one was around how much I was taking for granted that work is there and job security, right? And like how, how disposable we all, I felt at the start of COVID even working again in an industry where my job wasn't threatened and I wasn't having to make, you know, these kind of unbelievable decisions between putting myself in danger and showing up to work. I also did have this moment of just absolute kind of um, panic where I thought about what would have happened if technology hadn't been where it was, right? Like we live in a world where remote work was possible for so many of us, not for everyone again, but for you and I, Knowledge we, economy, yeah. yeah, we were able to, to do that. And thinking about just thinking about that and how dependent, how much of the way I survived COVID was dependent on this technology, uh, which again, we'll come back to in our, our last episode. Right. Um, and then I think I had two other kind of uh, insights into work for me personally. One was how few hours I actually worked. Mm, that's a good one. Um, right? Because yeah. I, I don't think it was until I started full-time remote working at the peak of COVID that I realized most of my day was actually standing at the coffee machine. Filler moments. Filler moments, right? All that time, oh, yeah. 20 minutes between a meeting, let me chat with a coworker. That's right. And this idea of eight hours of productivity like ugh. well it's unrealistic and it's not happening whether we think it is or not it's not yeah and then the other thing i think actually for me was not just COVID. it was all the other things happening in 2020 and 2020 was um, a major fire year in california as we've had so many yes but it was also the year of the inf uh, infamous orange sky day where because of a fire and the way the smog was being caught because of a marine layer and all sorts of other things, the sky was bright orange. Not like a tinge. This isn't sunset. It, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. It was like bright. It, it, it was otherworldly. It looked like we were in a completely different place and you couldn't tell if it was night or day. Exactly. It was And I just shocking. remember I was, my desk looked out a window and I remember typing an email and forcing my body to sit still while my brain and every instinct in me was screaming, run for your life, yeah. because it was morning and it looked dark and the sky was orange and it looked like the world was ending. And I was sending an email, I think about receipts or something. And I genuinely do think that that was the day my brain broke. Mm. Right. And I, I don't know that I've ever I have fully recovered or will ever recover from the experience of my entire body saying one thing and me writing an email. Yeah, it's it's like getting caught having very human experiences, knowing that they haven't you that you don't know how to respond to that in the workplace yeah. and that what's happening around us is really disturbing our sense of normalcy but also security, security and almost, you know, making us have these existential crises. Like, am I going to die? Uh, you know, and that that's been a very real question that all of us has been have been asking us in the last two years. COVID has done that for people who have gotten COVID and who haven't had COVID and had just lived in the environment. Yeah. And I think the juxtaposition again of 2020 as a whole of then also the mass social uprisings after uh, George Floyd was lynched yeah. and that 
it's awful, awful to experience and to see. And there was joy in the uprising and people mobilizing afterwards. But for me, it also is like, there's so many emotions and they're all coming out. Yeah. The fear, the anxiety, the hopefulness, the anger. And again, it was like a, a dam breaking and all of a sudden we I was living in a world where there was a lot of emotions and it was in a time of isolation. So I was wondering for you, like, what did it also, what did COVID mean in terms of um, professional relationships and you know, the non-work part of work? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. It actually led me to a couple of sort of breakthroughs on my own in terms of how I thrive and what works best for me. What I noticed most about just working from home with COVID was just how lonely I felt. You know, I, I, I worked as part of a team. Uh, you know, I, I had projects that I was running with others, but I felt extremely disconnected. And I'm not talking about you know, being in an office and, and being sort of connected to that energy that you see in an office. But it was that I didn't feel connected to the people that I was working with. And it's something that I, I realized in that moment that I really needed. Belonging as part of a team and feeling human connection with other people that I'm doing this kind of work with is really important to me. And I felt that so, so deeply working from home. And really just seeing people go through their own processes, coming to realization of what was happening, right? So you're on Zoom, you know, people have cameras on, people don't have cameras on, you see their actual lives happening behind them. Yeah. You see parents and children, and it, it became a very different world in a good way in that we got to see other sides of ourselves that we normally don't share in the workplace. And then it just showed the reality of, of all of the parallels that exist in a home. Yeah, I mean, it was shocking, right? To see uh, people's homes and their children yes. and like all of the stuff that you didn't know about your coworkers. Right. And I remember distinctly feeling like, oh, I thought I was close with people, was I? Yeah. Is my, is my networks actually much smaller than I thought? And um, yeah, what, what does belonging mean? If I've, if I've hidden so much of my actual life from my coworkers, and for my workplaces, what does that all mean moving forward? Um, but before we get into forward, uh, as we've been talking about this, uh, something that, again, you already brought this up even in your own experience is that uh, COVID brought a lot of this to light, 2020 brought a lot of this to light, but we know that it didn't start mm -mm. in 2020, right? Mm -mm. Um, and so we wanted to spend a few minutes also just talking about the history of work. Yeah, no, I think that's incredibly important. And I'm actually going to defer to you as our political scientist. Can you give us a brief overview of just how the whole workforce labor movement started and how we got to where we are? Well, I can try. And I will say, so one of the things, um, Nidia, as, as we've talked about, is that this is us sharing our that's right. life stories and our lived experiences. And so I don't this is not going to be the definitive history of work, um, but some broad themes and trends, I think, that we yeah. talked about. And I think one of the things, you know, so there's a couple of things. Um, one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot, um, particularly around kind of your experience with motherhood and work, is what happened when women entered the workforce in the 1950s, right? And so 
as we know, after during the war, women entered the workforce in large numbers. After the war, it was a little bit of like, maybe women should go back home, but women continued to enter the workforce. Um, and so for several decades after World War II, it was an increasing number of women entering the workforce. But when we look back to how our lives changed because of that, what I'm left with is that actually we didn't make all that many changes or accommodations to either work or life, right? So we got some things like dishwashers and maybe better vacuum cleaners. <laughs> uh, but really, we went from a, a model stereotypically in the industrialized age and with lots of caveats that uh, the idea, the model, the goal that we were all aspiring to was one parent working, one parent full time at home because home was a full-time job. That's right. And then we shifted that model, that goal, that vision in our minds to two people could work full-time out of the house and still all the work at home would somehow magically get done. And then also this idea that it used to be that you could afford life on a single income. Mm -hmm. But as incomes went up, we haven't actually been able to afford all that much more on two incomes, right? In fact, what we're seeing is actually- Increased expenses. And for the first time ever, our generations and generations after us might be able to achieve less in our lifetimes, have less financial security Shocking. than generations. Yeah. And some of that to me is that we didn't take the time to have some of these conversations about how not just work needed to shift, but our conceptualization of work needed to shift as we shifted these idealized visions and models, right? Mm -hmm. Again, recognizing that most of humankind has not had the luxury of such a kind of separation of work and life, but yeah. our vision, our model, instead of at that point saying, well, maybe then both parents only work three days a week because do you really need two people working five days a week and what's going to happen to work and what's or home and what's going to happen to childcare and all of those things. We didn't take that moment to say, well, if both parents are working, what's happening to childcare? We didn't take that moment to look around and say, oh, these are actually really hard decisions that so many people around us are already making yeah. and we need to build more equitable systems. Uh, and then even if we go back longer than that, I started thinking about like the industrial age yeah. um, and, you know, one of the things is that in the when we started having conversations around workers' rights, things like a 40-hour work week was supposed to be the floor, not the ceiling. That was considered to be the start of the fight. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right? There you go. And so now we have this weird world that we were living in in, say, 2019, where families were thinking they had to work 80 hours or more, usually more, mm. with two parents working. That's right. Whereas that was never supposed to be how work was supposed to look like. At least I don't think so, right? No, that's right. And and several yeah. other things I think kind of changed along the way. Um, you know, your point is super important and one that I don't think we spend enough time talking about. Um, and that's, you know, women entering the workforce. Um, this is my personal opinion, but the way I see it is that, you know, after women after World War II finished and the men came home and presumably retook their jobs, women always knew they wanted to be a part of the workforce. It was, you know, they obviously should have that right. And my sense of sort of the work world 
uh, and viewing women post-World War II was accommodating them in the workplace. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but saying to the world that they were empowering women by letting them work. And it was a huge, in my mind, it was a huge misrepresentation of what was actually happening. Another point that I think that you make a really good point about is that we were never supposed to have two parents working at least at least 80 hour weeks. Also remember that the concept of community has changed a lot in the last 20 years. I remember when I came to this country in the 80s, you know, neighborhoods were lined with bikes and kids playing and kids going into other people's houses. We took care of each other as a community and you know, now being a mother uh, with a kid living in a neighborhood, I can't tell you how many parents I come across saying that they long for that, but that's just not something that's possible either because people aren't home, uh, other generations of the family are not with them, um, or it's just a security issue. And that's just such a sad commentary. And it's also, again, a commentary on how much work we do. Yes. Even the stuff that's not recognized at work or not paid work. Um, and then I think all of this was also made worse almost by technology. So yeah. again, in a idealized world, again, I'm not talking about reality, an idealized world. That's right. You had this one wave where it was, oh, one person worked enough to provide for life. And all of a sudden you have two people working. We should have either all had lives of luxury or we should have been like, oh, we actually don't need two full people working. Let's recalibrate this paid work That's stuff. right. Same with technology. Like, we were no longer typing up memos. We could send That's emails. Right. That's right. Right? Like we can pick up phones that, you know, it's, it's, I was watching, rewatching some old like movies and TV shows from the 80s and 90s and just looking at paper That's and how, right. like, how much time you were spent fighting with printers and fax machines. Oh my God. <laughs> Remember fax machines? Or, you know, these stories you hear of people like having to mail things and yeah. you're waiting and, Technology revolutionized all of that. We we are communicating instantaneously. We have access to so much. Shouldn't we be working less, fewer hours? If all of these productivity tools are increasing productivity, why didn't we go to 20-hour work weeks? Because our productivity told us that the more we work, the more we can have. And therefore, we just made life more expensive. And therefore, now that's the standard. Yeah. And so this is kind of the background, right? So as we enter 2020, right. exactly what you were saying is that it wasn't that 2020 broke things. We were already headed toward We were on something. a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I think the thing about 2020 that really is really was kind of inspirational for me to think about, and you've again touched on this already, is that we had a collective experience, all of us, all at once in March 2020, 100%. were forced to think about work, to think about life, to re-examine all of these things, to understand how carefully juggled our lives were. And that one thing shifted and everything, I mean, it really felt like we were walking on a tight walk. Mm -hmm. And all of us all at once, right? Yeah, and that so, was shocking. Yeah. So whereas before it was, I remember like talking to friends who've had kids, each individual felt that way as their child was born, but you were often by yourself. Um, I know I definitely, when I've gone through issues in life, like I've been like, oh, I'm struggling with balancing work and life in this moment, but it's just me. And all of a sudden we had this 
Collective uh, trauma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we and, certainly weren't prepared to think about work in a different way. No. And so we were all of a sudden having a collective trauma moment, uh, all of a sudden having to ask these big questions. And in the backdrop of all of this were, was this movement work where we were starting to build our vocabulary to talk about things, right? right. So right. we were learning words like belonging in the workplace where we could articulate this like deep need mm -hmm. that we all have. We were starting to understand how you know, inequitable systems hurt all of us. That's right. Uh, we were starting to start to understand also extractive economies and how much harm this never ending cycle of productivity has been doing. And so 2020 was simultaneously forcing us to ask big questions, but it was also giving us frameworks and vocabularies and new ways of thinking about these big questions as they were coming up. And we just, one thing that we never, that we took for granted was just having the time and space to think about these questions. And I think that's the quote unquote gift that COVID gave us. You know, when we first started COVID, the first thing I said to my husband is, Mother Earth is telling us, go to your room and think about what you did. <laughs> and so here we are, let's think about what work should look like yeah. um, for us to have meaningful, balanced, thriving lives that allow us to work both to maintain a lifestyle, but also to have meaning in our lives. So this is one side of the story, right? So this yeah. is a, what employees are going through. But in a world, in a capitalist world where we consider the market to also be a force, yeah. but also employers, uh, they were also going through a whole bunch of stuff, right? So employers were also starting to ask a lot of questions and have to rethink a lot of things. Yeah, um, absolutely. So they definitely had to think, I know one of the, like, you know, what about safety? Like, can you have document security That's offsite? Right. Can you run your finances off of people's personal computers? Can people be trusted? All of that kind of stuff. It's interesting that you're saying that because I, I feel like even before COVID hit, uh, employees were already, I think, cued into the fact that the workforce uh, was changing. And, you know, and a couple of the organizations that I worked with as a consultant, uh, even before COVID, were already thinking of ways to have, you know, to have uh, employees work remotely. It was a, a big theme, not centered around, you know, having to deal with personal life, but just having the flexibility to do good work from wherever you are. And in that sense, you know, what what the biggest sort of question that I saw for employers during COVID was real estate. Yeah. You know, you had all these empty offices. Organizations were paying thousands and thousands of dollars just to keep leases. Um, and I think that was a, a huge sort of reckoning for them in terms of realizing how much money they were spending on something that wasn't fully utilized, being fully, fully utilized. So you're right. I think what organizations have accelerated is their process of sort of rethinking their strategies and their real estate footprint. Do they need one? How big is it? Where are they going to reinvest those resources? I was going to say also with a little bit of stubbornness, right? Is oh, that 100%. I think yeah. The market is like, yeah, we don't want empty offices. So <laughs> you must come back to work. And that we got all those stops and starts, right? Where yeah. I remember for a while, every other week, the office would be like, we're pushing back, return to the, in return to the office two weeks. That's right. We were going in these like, yeah, just that like, 
that, and that's yes, the, no, yes, no. <laughs> that's indicative of how much systems don't want to change, right. right? Is that like, yeah. And then I, we did see a lot of the, I think the classic market employer response is, let's solve it by throwing more benefits, talking about benefits. The right. let's, let's fix a problem by throwing stuff at it kind of a solution. Yeah, and I think that's what you do when you're reacting to a situation. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's something that we tend to do in the workplace. Uh, my experience with a lot of organizations, actually the bigger ones, is that um, unless it's a big issue, you don't really want to spend too much resources on it. And yet, when push comes to shove, you're caught in a, re in a situation where instead of coming up with proactive, thoughtful ideas, you're reacting, as you said, and throwing stuff and just figuring out what'll stick. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's this like, we don't want to, we don't want change. So let's throw all this stuff at it. And the theme was always return to normal, return to normal, return yeah. to normal. And everyone was like, we don't want to go back to normal. Can we rebuild a new normal? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and all of this, again, is that we are talking about a very specific segment of society. That's right. And we say this with a deep recognition that at the same time, these market forces were really making inequities worse and worse and worse. And so this, this recognizing that these like market forces that are supposed to drive and propel humans forward were actually making wealth disparity worse, health disparities worse, race disparities worse, like every disparity, 100%. yeah. And, um, and again, it wasn't just maintaining a status quo, like, actively getting harder and harder and harder. And that's part of the like, what 2020 really brought to the surface. Because again, we are all experiencing all of this all at the same time. That's right. Um, and so how was the employee side of the market? You know, again, at, in this in this world where we pretend like the market is a thing. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. What were we seeing on the employee side? Oh my gosh. Well, I saw uh, during COVID, we saw a lot of people just leave the workforce. If financially you were able to, I know of a lot of parents and colleagues who just took a couple of times off, a couple of months off, just stayed home. And honestly, a lot of them were homeschooling kids. So it wasn't really a choice. Yeah. You know, some of them were required to stop working. Some of us uh, that, that had the flexibility um, chose to work independently to be a consultant. Yeah, no, and that to me is, I'm glad you brought up the consulting side because that was also something that was happening before COVID and mm -hmm. COVID really brought to the surface, right? So we already had the rise of the gig economy. We already had the rise of this idealized, again, notion that somehow through market forces, everyone should have this ability to work for Uber or, Instacart or something that you could work on demand when you wanted and still have this like luxurious life. That's right. And we already knew it wasn't quite working out. Those, <laughs> yeah, those fractures were already there. And then all of a sudden on top of that, we heaped all of these other people who were already, who are now joining the Segego economy, yeah. this freelance consulting or consulting. We saw also, I think the other thing that's really been interesting of how employees reacted to some of these market forces is that we ended up working more hours mm -hmm. because of technology, right? Yeah. Um, and this notion we could log in anytime, so we should be. 
you know, at the beginning of COVID, I felt like that was a concept that employees were trying to debunk because even before we were into COVID, a lot of employees, like the employers, employees were trying to convince their employers that they could be productive remotely. And when COVID happened, my sense was like, let's prove it. And it was almost like an overshot of, let me show you how productive I can be at home. Oh yeah, and I think there was a Microsoft study that said that we're now spending 30% more time in meetings. Oh my gosh. And that we now have an official like third wave of work. So it used to be people had like a morning productive period and then lull during lunch and post-lunch coma, food coma type stuff, and then another productive period and then you went home. And now they've proved that we are having a third productive spike at night. Kids are asleep, (laughs) done the dishes. Let's like work more. Yeah, that's exactly it. We are finding more pockets of time. But what I will say is that the independent consulting route is something that I do think is going to continue growing. And I think it's very appealing right now because it provides a lot of flexibility. Yeah, there's good pros and cons as with anything. But in consulting, you have the flexibility to choose when you're going to work, what work you will do, and how you will do it. Um, And I think that there are certain people, such as parents, and who can afford to have an independent consulting gig because you have to uh, auto-finance benefits and so forth. It is a really good way to go. Yeah, and again, this is the stuff that we've seen before COVID, and then we saw kind of amped up because of COVID. And the other part of it, related to what you're saying, is this also this notion that's growing of like a side hustle, yeah, right? And unfortunately, almost this notion of like, oh, you can be productive at night as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe you should be productive all the time. And oh, we can't afford what we used to be able to afford as a society on a, again, idealized vision that was never quite the reality for everyone. But this notion that on a singular salary, everyone could have a house with a white picket fence and 2.3 kids and a dog. That's right. Now you're telling me I need two incomes from full-time jobs and side hustles and one one child and one child yeah one child and don't even dream about a house <laughs> Nidia and I live in Rent the Bay area yep. <laughs> that's right condos are like luxurious <laughs> and somehow the market's expectation is that we're all going to be okay with this yeah. so we've just accepted it and um and I don't I don't think it's going to go back to the same. First of all, there is no going back to normal. Um, Second of all, I think there's enough momentum on the employee side and sort of like an exposure of all the things that could be that there is enough interest to explore what a different workplace can look like. Um, And that's why we're having these conversations because we see this as a very unique and again, that's a, that's a collective experience, right? right? It's not you went through this and then a couple of years later, I went through this. We are all going through this. We are all asking these big questions. And that is what you and I are saying is it's providing us this unbelievable opportunity that's right. to not just fix at the margins, but to really fix the core of what work is to, and, us, to have a paradigm shift. That's right. And to make it work for everyone. Yeah whether you're uh, in the service economy, whether you're in the knowledge economy, whether you're a parent, whether you're not a parent, whether... That's what we're going to be talking about next time, is that what we need right now is a paradigm shift. That if we only fix things at the margins, if all we talk about are better benefits or more flexible work hours, 
we are missing out on an opportunity in the same way that we missed out on the opportunity with when women quote unquote entered the workforce right. en masse, when technology revolutionized, we're not in this grind. So that we're not walking around in our moments of joy being like, I just had a child and all I can think about is something's gonna break. And this is our collective moment to try to do that. At least that's what, again, you and I are arguing. And that's why we're so excited because we see so much potential for us as employees to be part of the solution and to shape what we want this to look like so that we're all really enjoying our lives because that's really what matters yep. is for us to have meaningful and joyful lives. And that is what we're going to start digging into is how do we center life instead of work? I love that. So thank you for joining us in this episode and looking forward to chatting with you again next time when we talk about power. Oof. Power dynamics. Those are always fun. <laughs> <laughs>